Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Episcopal Church in Vero Beach, Florida. We are glad to have you join us. Our hope is that this sermon will instill you with a profound sense of God's love and that you might receive and reflect His glory to your community. From the Psalms this morning, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, friends. Today, we are concluding our summer sermon series where we looked at King David, his, uh, his rise, his crash and burn, and his restoration. If you've been here all summer, you'll remember that David was started off as a nobody. God picked him, and then David did some pretty bad things like murder and adultery, and then, but, but eventually God restored him. And What I've been looking at all summer, and if you missed any of it and you're curious, go back to the website or podcast. You can watch it or listen to it again. But the one thing I want you to take away from that whole summer series was this, that David is is a case study, right? David is no hero. He is no righteous man. He is no example, God knows. But rather, David is a case study of you and me and all humanity in that we are fallen We are broken. Even the best of us fall from God's grace, but that God and his mercy is faithful and that he offers us restoration to him by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. So if there's one thing you get, it's that David is a train wreck and so are you, but it's okay because God offers us redemption. Amen? That's it. So But today we're going to wrap up the whole series, put a bow on it, and put it aside until three years from now, and ask ask ourselves the question, well, now what? And I want to conclude the series not by looking at David, but actually by looking at his fourth son, whose name is Solomon. What did Solomon learn, now that we've all walked through this train wreck that is David and his family, um... What does Solomon learn as the fourth son of a dad who's a train wreck and a family which is dysfunctional, like all of us? What does Solomon learn? Well, he learns two things that we're going to talk about today. And it's actually the most important points about David. It has nothing to do with David at all, but Solomon. Two things. First, I want to look at the gift of wisdom. Solomon's gift of wisdom. And then secondly, the centrality of Solomon's trust in God. So what did Solomon learn as the fourth boy in the series? Solomon learned about the gift of wisdom, and secondly, he learned about the centrality of trusting in God. So, here we go. Um, before we dive into that, I want to I um, unpack a few things that have gone on. If you look at your text in, in the uh, bulletin there, the appointed text for today actually skip. So it goes from chapter... Uh, 1 to chapter 3. And so it goes from David, and what you've got in front of you is David dies and then Solomon becomes the king. Woohoo! Right? And it seems like an easy slide, an easy transition, but nothing could be farther from the truth. Because if you go back and actually look what's in Scripture, the parts that are omitted from today's lesson, there's a war and it's ugly. Between David's death in chapter 1 and Solomon's being made king in chapter 3, there's a power struggle. There's a war. It's a family feud. If you remember, just last week, uh, we saw this before, son number 
one whose name was, remember, Absalom. Absalom, what does he do? Well, he tries to steal daddy's throne. He tries to steal David's throne and throw him out of Jerusalem, which Absalom actually does. And then he winds up getting whacked by Joab, right? And then, and then, um, then we see brother number three named Abinadab, this time who also tries to do the same thing, but we don't actually read about it. Here's the story. King David in chapter one is dying. And as he's dying, Abinadab, which is Absalom's younger brother, Abinadab tries to seize power, tries to seize the throne of his dad before his father has even died. In other words, Abinadab conspires to steal the throne. He gets a group of guys together. They plot it all out. They're ready to strike as soon as the old man's dead. And it almost worked. Abinadab was almost successful, just like Absalom was almost successful, except for one thing. Brother number four, (laughs) Solomon, you got all these names straight? Brother number four gets wind of it, goes to his mom, Bathsheba, remember her, and says, hey mom, we got a problem. (laughs) If Abinadab gets the throne, that means that we're going to be probably uh, extinguished. And so they go to David and they say, David, remember when you said Solomon got the throne. Now, whether he actually said that or not, we don't know. But Bathsheba says, hey, Dave, remember way back when you told me that that Solomon could be the king? And David says, okay, yeah. She said, well, Abinadab's trying to steal the throne. And David says, aha, Solomon is the new king. And so Solomon is made king. He is anointed. Abinadab is completely surprised by this turn of events. He's actually out partying, gets wind of it. And then Solomon like everybody else in the story so far, goes out, finds Abinadab, he's whacked, finds Joab, he's whacked, finds Abiathar the priest, and he gets whacked. All of them are killed. It's like the godfather in the ancient Near East. It really is. And then Solomon, we pick up today, Solomon and his throne is secure. You with me? So even if you miss all the details, which you might, but the point I want you to see in all of this dysfunction is this, that somewhere in that transition, somewhere after looking back on his life thus far, Solomon came to a conclusion. There's got to be a better way to do this, right? There's got to be a better way. Solomon must have thought, and I'll prove it to you in a second, this, that, you know, I saw my dad make some big mistakes. I saw my father go astray with Bathsheba and then murder her husband Uriah. I saw Absalom go after power politics, and Absalom got killed. I saw Abinadab, my brother. He bites the dust, too, in his, in his quest for money and power. And, and so Solomon is actually, right now, at a bit of a crossroads. And he says to himself, I gotta re- I've got to rethink this. And let me just stop there before I move on. Have you ever been yourself at a crossroads in your life? Where you said to yourself, you know, I've been doing it this way so far, and I can't keep doing it. I've got to rethink how I make my decisions. I've got to rethink the way I've been living thus far. There's an old uh, canard that says that uh, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. You ever heard that before? Abraham or Albert Einstein did not say that, by the way. People attribute that to him. But that's the point here, that Solomon sees 
his family's train wreck history to this, fall, this point, and he's at a crossroads. He is, what am I going to do now? What do I do? How do I know that that's going through his mind? Well, simple. That's where we pick up today. Solomon has a dream. He falls asleep. Now, why is that important? Well, God in the Bible frequently works through dreams, particularly when we're under stress, when we're worried, when we're trying to solve a problem. You ever been in a situation where you're worried about something? Ever? Anybody? Yeah. And what happens? You spin and you spin and you what if and you what if and you what if and you're just, you're in a tizzy. You're, in a, you're unable to get a straight thought. So God waits until Solomon is asleep. Happens with Joseph, Mary's husband too. And in this dream, God says to Solomon, okay, Solomon, now that you've come, now that I've got your attention, what should I give you? Think about this. Solomon knows he's at a crossroads. And God says, okay, Solomon, you're the new king. What should I give you? And Solomon has to think to himself, you know, I've seen what money, sex, and power have done. I've seen what power politics have done. I've seen what my father's immoral behavior has done. And Solomon says, you know, God, <laughs> I think I need to rethink this. What I really need, listen, listen to this. He says, God, what I need is wisdom. Not an army, not money, not power, not hot women like his old man. What I need, God, is wisdom. Now, let me ask you a question. Does anybody ever talk about wisdom anymore? You never hear about it. It is the most important of all the virtues. Let me, and this is why I say it. What is exactly, what is, what is wisdom? What is it that David is, or Solomon is asking for? Uh, it's not the same as knowledge, right? Wisdom and knowledge are not the same thing. If you don't believe me, go to graduate school and you'll find all sorts of people that are very knowledgeable and very intelligent, but they're not very wise, right? And likewise, you can meet people that are completely uneducated, but yet are very wise. So what's the difference? What is this wisdom that Solomon is seeking? Well, here it is. You ready? Wisdom is the ability, wisdom is the ability to discern truth from error. But it's the ability to discern truth from error. Here's the key. When the rules aren't clear. Wisdom is the ability to, to discern truth from error when the rules aren't clear. Let me give you an example. Um, remember way back to a couple months ago, well, a couple weeks ago, we talked about David on the roof, and he sees Bathsheba, and what does he do? He sends for her, uh, they have an affair, and then he kills her husband. You don't have to be wise to know that's wrong, Right? Do you, need to be, do you need wisdom to know that you shouldn't cheat on your taxes? Do you need to be wise to know that? Nope. Do you need to be wise to know that murder is wrong? No. Do you need to be wise to know that you should tell the truth? You know, you don't need wisdom for those things because they're clear. They are moral absolutes. Those decisions are easy. We don't always make the right decision, but we know what the decisions should be. Wisdom's different. Wisdom is how do you make a decision when things are not clear. Where do I send my kid to preschool? Where do I go to college? What do I do now that my wife's health is deteriorating and I can't care for her anymore? What do I do with my free time now that I've just retired? Whatever it might be. You see my point. Wisdom 
is the ability to make decisions, good decisions, when the rules aren't clear. Wisdom is the ability, friends, to navigate the gray areas of our lives, which, quite frankly, is most of it, right? The moral decisions, the black and white, that's the easy stuff. It's the gray areas that are tricky. So wisdom, wisdom is critical to living a successful life. So where do you get it? And that's my point. First point, the Bible claims that wisdom is a gift from God, which is precisely why Solomon asks for it. I mean, it's common sense if you stop and think about it for a minute. Can you take a class on wisdom? Anybody here ever go to college and I'm studying wisdom? Can you do it? No. Can you logically discern wisdom? No. Can you rationalize wisdom? No, you can't. Why not? Because wisdom is intuition. It is insight. It is clarity of thinking when things are not clear. Wisdom is a gift from God. And it comes in being in a relationship with him. Did you hear that? Wisdom is a gift of the Holy Spirit to have insight into something in which you don't understand. Let me give you an example that I'll clarify it. It's an example from my own ridiculous behavior. Um, when I was in seminary, when you go to seminary, they take the young seminarian and they partner you with an, another, an older priest who's been around the block for a while. And he's kind of your, men, your sounding board and your mentor and an encourager. Anyway, the guy that I had, my mentor, uh, his name was Father Don Gross. He's now dead. But Father Gross was a brilliant man, a wise man, a caring man, a smart man. He was a priest he was also, turns out, a psychotherapist, which comes in handy if you're a priest. He was also, I found out later, that he was also the diocesan exorcist. <laughs> so when the bishop picked the guy for Rodriguez, he gave me a guy who was a psychotherapist and an exorcist. So you can figure that out for yourself. But <laughs> Father Gross used to joke with me and say, Rodriguez, you got the big guns, man. Um, but I'll never, I never forget this. He, he gave me some great counsel one day. I, I, was, I was talking with him about something going on in my life. I was complaining is what I was doing. And I was, I was telling him I'd been praying about something. And I don't, I don't remember what the prayer was. I don't remember the circumstances. But I remember saying to him, Father Gross, I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. And all I'm getting is a dial tone. <laughs> all I'm getting is nothing. No answer. No change. No matter what I do, Father Gross, no matter how much I pray, and how much I wait, I got nothing. I was stuck. Ever been there? Of course you have. And so you, that always leads you to a conclusion of one of two things, that either God doesn't hear me, or if you let it go, and you probably won't say this out loud, God doesn't really care, right? You ever been there? Yes. So I, anyway, I was lamenting and complaining and whining to Father Gross about my prayers not being answered for 20 minutes or so, and he nodded, and he sat back in his chair. He was a very wise man. And finally, after I stopped and took a breath, he said, uh, he said, you know, I'll never forget this. He said, you know, God, God is a God of clarity. He said, God is a God of clarity. And I looked at him. He said, think about it. All through Scripture, 
Abraham, Moses, Mary, Joseph, Mary's husband, John, Peter, even Jesus. When God's time is right, when his time is right, God is always absolutely 100% clear. He said, God is a God of clarity. He said, and then this is the zinger, he said, the problem isn't that God hasn't heard your prayer. He said, the problem is that you are impatient. He said, the problem is not that God doesn't hear your prayer. He says, the problem is that you, Rodriguez, are impatient and, he said, you don't trust him. He's right. I didn't like it, <laughs> but he was totally right. I was impatient, and I really didn't trust him. I said I did. I thought I did, but I really didn't, right? I said I believed in him. I said I trusted him, but my heart betrayed me. And, if, and the reality is, friends, none of us really fully trust him, do we? And that's why, that is why, that is why you and I need wisdom. We need to learn to wait, to be patient, to trust that God will tell me what to do and when I need to do it. We need to have the wisdom to know that God will tell me and you what to do and when to do it. So here's a question. Are you stuck right now? And if you're not, you will be. So it's kind of a rhetorical question. Let me just remind you what Father Gross said to me all those years ago. God is a God of clarity. He will let you know what to do when you need to know it. As your rector, I pray for wisdom. I pray for lots of things every day. But high up on the list for me is wisdom. I pray for wisdom every day, and I cannot tell you, my wife could tell you, but I couldn't tell you, how many times I have tried to make a decision or I was getting ready to pull the trigger on, on something or, or jump the gun, and God in his mercy and his love for me has said, Rodriguez, just calm down. Be patient. For God's sake, man, I'm driving the bus. Get out of the way. And I wait. That's called wisdom. It's called hearing God speaking to you. And you know what funny thing? It's not funny at all. He worked it out in a far more creative and effective way than I could ever do. And the reason is because wisdom is a gift from God. And that leads me to my second point then, that wisdom is a gift from God. And most importantly, and this is really cool, wisdom is rooted in Solomon's trust in God. Let me show you what I mean by that. So wisdom is a gift from God, but it's rooted and strengthened in our trust of God. Let's go back to Solomon. Solomon, Solomon, what should I give you? Solomon asks for wisdom, okay? But what he's really asking for, let me stop and just think for a second. What Solomon is really asking for is a relationship with God. What he's really asking for is an intimate relationship with God. Lord, keep me close to you. Keep me focused on you. Keep me there so that I can hear you when you speak to me. Let, keep me close to you so that I know when you are trying to tell me do this or don't do that. Lord, what I want is wisdom. What I want, Solomon is saying, is I want 
you. I want you to be close to me. Psalm 111, which they just, we just sang a minute ago, there's a verse in there, verse 10, which I've always loved, and I never really quite understood it until till I was prepping for this sermon. Uh, Psalm 111, verse 10 says, and you know this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What in the world does that mean? Well, fear, of course, doesn't mean you're afraid of God. That wouldn't make any sense. What does it mean then? Well, let me give you an illustration. Say you are out for a walk. You're walking along, you're, you know, texting your friends, or you're listening to a Chris Rodriguez sermon on your, on your podcast, or I don't know, whatever you're doing. Uh, uh, you're talking on the phone, you're walking your aunt, dogs, whatever you're doing. You're walking along, having a great time, thinking about a million different things. And out of the corner of your eye, you see a pit bull come, cha- come running at you without a leash. What's going to happen? <laughs> Every fiber of your being... All the millions of things floating around in your brain and you're texting, whatever you're doing, all of that stuff is going to go away and you're going to focus on that animal charging at you, right? Why? Fear focuses your entire being on that thing. This is the point of the psalm. That the the fear of the Lord focusing on God is the beginning of wisdom, just like Solomon says. It's a gift. The fear of God is the source of wisdom because it is a life which is focused on God. Friends, if you want wisdom, and if you don't, you should. If you want to navigate life successfully, if you want to raise your family, have a healthy marriage, if you want to do the right thing, if you want to make good decisions, if you want to be wise, friends, God has got to be at your center. He's got to be your focus because wisdom is not a technique. It is not a strategy. It is not a logical process. It is not read a book on wisdom. No. Wisdom is a gift. It is a spiritual intuition given by God to you, and it only comes from being close to him. The next time you are faced with a challenge, a question, a worry, let me challenge you this morning to do it like Solomon i got to live a little differently here. Let me challenge you. The next time you're focused on a question or a worry or a decision, stop. Ask God for wisdom. Ask him for the intuition. Lean on him. And for God's sake, be patient. You can trust him. God is a God of clarity. All he asks is that we walk alongside of him and listen. Father, we thank you for Solomon and his witness to lean on you fully rather than trusting in himself. Father, let us learn from Solomon to seek a better way, your way. Give us wisdom. Give us patience. Give us trust in all things in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.